You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a prospects writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to follow up with some of the top draft prospects for this upcoming draft where there are so many talented players, especially at the collegiate level, and wanted to follow up to see who has improved their draft stock who has hurt their draft stock, and some of the other names that may be playing their way into the top 10. You have the obvious names like Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, though Kumar Rocker had a little bit of discussion around him over the last couple weeks. He had a velo drop two starts ago where that raised some concerns, and then he came back and just absolutely shoved against Tennessee, and his velo was right back. So it seems like just an off start for him two starts ago because he came back And I think that kind of lit a fire under him because you could just see the emotion on the mound. I think Pitching Ninja pointed out a quick little video where you can see him on the mound saying, like, I'm right effing here. I'm right effing here. Like, don't doubt me. I am fine. He must have heard. It's hard not to hear it nowadays. People are talking about, oh, Kumar Rocker's velo dropped. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And he comes back and just goes seven scoreless. So that kind of quieted anything that was going to hurt his stock. He's probably still the favorite to go number one overall. I personally lean towards lighter. That's a personal preference because I think he's got more to his arsenal. I love his makeup. I love the way he attacks hitters. His fastball is also super electric. I know that Kumar's the bigger body, but I am not that sold on the body being the end-all be-all. Jack Leiter has all of the intangibles. He also has a four-pitch mix, all four pitches, flash plus, and his two pitches, his fastball and his breaking ball, are already plus pitches and will play right away into his professional career where they will already be major league caliber pitches. Rocker has two major league caliber pitches as well, but we haven't really seen a third pitch from him. It's really just picking between diamonds and gold. It's not like there's a wrong answer here. I just like the more polished pitcher with, not that Rocker has any issues with the way he attacks the game, but Jack Leiter is like a robot that was bred to pitch. And that kid is going to climb through the minor leagues so damn quickly. If Rocker starts throwing that third pitch more frequently and with confidence, then it might be another story. Again, you can really just go either way there. Two absolute studs. I can't really get into other pitchers without talking about Jaden Hill and his unfortunate injury. Jaden Hill was a guy that I floated earlier in this year before the college season started as a guy that could potentially be an option to crack into that top three, top four, definitely top five range this year with the kind of arm that he has and the stuff that he has. Mid-90s fastball that touches the uppers and an elite changeup. Unfortunately, down with Tommy John will not be back until next season at the earliest. And it's a shame, but Hill's got a lot of time, a lot ahead of him, and he will be just fine. It's just really unfortunate for LSU, unfortunate for him. And I wish him a speedy recovery as he is so much fun to watch on the mound and such a bright future for Jaden Hill. But looking at the rest of the top five potential players, it's a lot of the same still. Jordan Lawler is cemented in that top five, in my opinion, and that is where it's the same. You got Leiter, Rocker, and Lawler. Those guys, barring something insane, are locks 
in the top five. I would be astounded if anybody was outside of that top five, either any of those three guys essentially being outside of the top five would be mind-blowing. Where I think somebody has really played their way into almost being in that conversation too, and it really just depends on which teams need a catcher, is Henry Davis. Henry Davis looks incredible. The more I watch this guy, the more I like him. At first, I had my questions about his swing. It's a somewhat divisive swing. There's a little bit of movement to him. There's a little bit of an unorthodox type of lead up to his swing, but the guy just absolutely hits. He just hits, and he is hitting better than ever. Right now, this year, is putting up insane exit velos. We've seen him already hit eight home runs this season, which is way more than he had put up in the previous years, albeit junior year was cut short to 14 games, and freshman year, he was a freshman, still put together a pretty good 280, 345, 386 slash line where he was getting on base, making contact. The power wasn't quite there for him. That was a freshman, right? A freshman catcher. Now, the power is coming together, and we're seeing crazy exit velos. 389, 514, 676 slash line. He's getting on base a ton. 24 walks against 12 strikeouts, the eight home runs, 32 driven in. There is nothing that looks bad in his offensive game right now. He's just been a tough guy to strike out. He is doing damage at the plate. And that's not to mention that you could argue the, not even argue, I think it's objectively true that the best part of his game is his defense. Rocket for an arm, good receiver behind the plate, really athletic. This is a special catching prospect and far and away the best catching prospect in this draft. If you consider the history of really polished, good hitting, well-rounded catching prospects coming out of the draft, they always end up going in the top five. And Henry Davis is starting to look like that kind of top five caliber player. And it has been really cool to watch him just get better and better before our eyes. To me, it would be really hard to pass on this guy in the top six. You have Leiter, Lawler, and Rocker as locks in that top six picks. You could make the case for a Marcelo Meyer or a Khalil Watson. That's going to be dependent on positional need, I think. And and a lot of teams say they don't draft by need. But if you have a ton of catchers in your system, you're not going to take another catcher. Unless you're the Giants, I guess. They had Joey Bart and they took... Patrick Bailey so if somebody falls to you like that where that's maybe another different kind of circumstance because it was middle of the round and Patrick Bailey fell to them this is different you have a top five pick you could get a potential superstar shortstop between Khalil Watson or Marcelo Meyer and between those two guys as I said in the past and I think it still stands true now you can't go wrong with either of those two either crazy high ceilings I would say Marcelo Meyer's the safer pick as a more polished, smooth swing. But Khalil Watson has all the tools, crazy raw power, good speed. It's really what you prefer here if you want to go a little bit safer. But Meyer could still be a superstar as well. I mean, that guy has a lot to offer and a lot more room for strength and power in his swing and already very polished at the plate. But Khalil Watson also has this potential to just be an impact player and a superstar, absolute superstar shortstop. So either of those guys could easily go in the top five. And I think Khalil Watson is getting some helium as well. But Meyer, I'm hearing more and more as an option to potentially compete with Lawler to be the first shortstop taken. I think that's a little bit crazy because I think Lawler is just a special, special talent and kind of the hybrid between Meyer and and Watson, where you have good athleticism, 
but still a high floor with a really well-rounded approach, consistent swing, great body control. He's the hybrid of still having a high ceiling. Not that either any of the aforementioned players don't have a high ceiling, but he has a sky-high ceiling with still a very high floor because of his polish, his defense, his athleticism, and his approach at the plate. I have heard really good things from scouts even saying that Jordan Lawler is the type of player that remembers what a pitcher threw to him four at-bats ago in the one-two count and is able to apply that to the next at-bats next time he faces that guy and all of those kind of things that you don't really see from a typical high schooler. So very special talents. This could be one of the best shortstop classes we've seen in a really long time and it's really exciting. You can't go wrong with these guys. Other names that I'm looking forward to getting to on the other side of the break is Sal Freelick, a name that I've been asked about a lot, as well as Brady House and Ryan Cusick, as well as some other potential sleepers that could climb their way into mid to early first round conversation, or at least solidify themselves as first round picks. Before I get to that, a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. These rings are sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a unique beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply beautiful conversation pieces. They're the perfect way to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only at BlueNile.com. That's B-L-U-E-N-I-L-E.com. And just search the words 10 by 10. This collection features high quality fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced so that you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you are on the hunt for something perfect, a unique ring that she'll treasure forever, you're going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. So let's get back into this draft conversation and some of the other really interesting names. One that I'm hearing a lot from a lot of different people that I've reached out to that have seen plenty of college arms and myself as just being able to watch this guy pitch. Ryan Cusick is the latest Wake Forest arm that has kind of emerged after having somewhat of a rough freshman year where he pitched to a 6-4-4 ERA in 65 and two-thirds innings for the Demon Deacons and was averaging as many as four walks per nine innings. Not ideal for a freshman year, but he was just a freshman. Then he comes back his sophomore season after actually actually a surprisingly solid summer in the Cape where he was one of the younger players and pitched to a 3.79 ERA in seven starts, came back in the shortened season, made four starts, and looked much better. The velo was up big time, struck out 43 and 22 and a thirds, and then the season was over. Now we're seeing a lot more of the same from Cusick, while the command still leaves a little bit to be desired. There's no way around that. He's still averaging more than four walks per nine. He is really electric. A fastball that I think nobody has any doubt will reach triple digits in the next year or two, if not by the end of the season. That's the kind of juice he has. Crazy spin rates, just an electric, electric fastball. And that's why he's punched out 56 and 33 innings. But you walk 16 and there's a little bit of concern there. I think most teams, though, at the big league level at this point, when they draft a guy like Cusick, they're willing to take a chance and figure that they can develop him and help him throw strikes more frequently because 
He is easily up to 97, sits more in the 93 to 95 range. And it's also very effortless for him at six foot six, 215 pounds. It's kind of the classic situation here where you have a really tall pitcher that is struggling to get all of his body parts to sync up. He will get there. And that's why I think a lot of teams are super high on this kid and will potentially take him in the first half of this first round of the draft because, again, he seems like a guy that will easily throw 100 miles per hour once a professional team gets a hold of him and the strikeouts will be off the charts. Similar story with the breaking stuff where it flashes plus the slider when he's going well is sharp and late with bite, high spin rate, and gets a lot of swings and misses on it, but at other times, he just does not look as comfortable throwing it, and that's the inconsistency that we've seen with Cusick. And ultimately, if he's going to be a top 15 pick, it's going to be dependent on how he looks down the stretch here as the season endures. And if he can start to put to bed some of the command concerns that circle around him and then also show that he can handle throwing the secondaries a bit more because they show plus... But how frequently can he get those pitches to show their capability? That will be what's worth watching. But Cusick, the type of pitcher that could fly into the top 10 if he starts to show what Garrett Crochet did and could have a similar Garrett Crochet type of arc where if he really starts to put it together at the end, four good starts from him to the end of the season like Garrett Crochet had in the shortened 2020, just four quality starts where all of a sudden he looks like a more polished pitcher and might be putting it together, that could be enough for a team to say, okay, this kid's showing flashes of it. We're going to be able to unlock this from him. And that could be that. Wake Forest has done a pretty good job of developing arms in recent years. We saw it with Jared Schuster, who had a really rough freshman and sophomore year and then came out really strong in his junior year and also had a really good summer in the Cape. Wake Forest, one of the pioneers with the analytics and all of the data-driven analysis when it comes to college baseball. Some other names that have really pitched their way or hit their way into the conversation. Sal Freelick has been doing it for a little bit now. Freelick is probably the safest pick in this entire draft hitter-wise. I mean, you could probably say Rocker and Lighter are as safe as you're going to find arm-wise, but Sal Freelick is just the safest pick you can find. Super speed. He's a 70-grade runner. Such a good, simple, and repeatable swing. He is impossible to strike out. He is able to work walks despite the fact that nobody wants him on base because of how fast he is. Baseball America compared him to Andrew Benatendi, and I can see that comp big time. I would say he's faster and offers a little bit more consistency at the plate, while Benatendi offered a little bit more power. That's where my question lies around Sal Freelick. It's He's going to be able to hit enough to be a major leaguer with his speed and the defense that he offers, but how much is he going to be able to impact the baseball to the point where is he a guy that you can count on to be more than just a table-setting leadoff guy? Like, can he hit in the two-hole? How much production is this guy going to offer? The exit velos are not off the charts, by any means, but he barrels baseballs up pretty consistently. He still has five home runs already this year, which is not bad at all given that he is really a contact-oriented gap-to-gap guy. Ultimately, I'm not too worried about the power because he's going to split gaps. He's going to take extra bases. He's going to get his fair share of doubles and triples, and he'll leave the yard when he needs to. Another guy that is 
able to barrel the ball up so frequently that he seems like the type of candidate that will just really benefit from the Major League Baseballs, even though he's going from metal to wood. I still think it's an advantage when you start using the Major League Baseballs when you're a guy like Freelick who squares balls up and gets some easy carry when he does. He's very line drive oriented, but those line drives end up just taking off a bit more than they do sometimes in college, even though it's with a metal bat. I think Freelick is so safe and easily could be the first college bat off the board, hitting 357 so far this season, 10 doubles, 5 homers. He's got 16 walks and 16 strikeouts, which is really impressive in the ACC when you're facing a lot of very, very good pitching on a daily basis. He has shown tons of clutch ability as well coming through late in ball games for Boston College. He has the intangibles. I've heard plus plus makeup, good work ethic. I like everything about this guy. He's also driven in 21 runs in 31 games, usually hitting right around the front of the order, so doing a good job of still being productive whether he leaves the yard or not. Situationally, he's good. Eight stolen bases. I'd like to see stolen bases become a little bit more of a part of his game, but he's been more efficient with that towards the latter part of the season now, stealing bags in three of his last six games, which was a lot more than he was doing before, where he just had gone through about a span of a dozen games without swiping a bag. So it seems like that's starting to become a part of his game. He wants to showcase that a bit more as we get closer to the draft day. But when we look at the bats, the college bats throughout the draft, I would say the only college bat, which almost slipped my mind because I'm thinking of him as like a catcher and not even as just a bat. Henry Davis will be the first college hitter and catcher to go, in my opinion. But then Sal Freelich should be the first guy right behind him. And that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Another player that has really played his way into pushing up the draft board and from a mid-major school, which I always love to see, is Sam Bachman, big right-handed pitcher from Miami of Ohio, where he already has two big league pitches. I mean, just these college arms, these kids now are just getting, are, are just so talented. It's absurd. You have a guy at Miami of Ohio that's hitting triple digits. His fastball has legitimately hit 100 miles per hour and sits in the upper 90s. 95 to 97 is where he sits. And then he has a nasty slider in the upper 80s where no matter where you look, no matter who I've talked to, and as I've watched, I would give the same grade myself, two plus plus pitches. It's just absurd. At Miami of Ohio, and I know guys really mature later and, and everything, but like you're just seeing so many pitchers all over the place, just throwing absolute gas and just so hard to hit. And all of these guys just come out of nowhere. It's it's incredible the amount of talent that we're seeing across baseball. But Bachman, after hitting triple digits, after starting to show that slider, that two-pitch mix pretty much guarantees that he is going to be at worst a solid reliever. Because I really think when you have two pitches like that. You have such a high floor. Yes, I'd like to see a third pitch. Yes, in a mid-major school, if you're hitting 100 miles per hour and have a plus-plus slider, you don't need to throw a third pitch very often. So that's the big question with him. But the polish that he's shown has been surprising given the limited track record and just the ridiculous stuff that he has. The fact that he's able to command it and he's gotten better as the season's gone on. So far this year, he has only given up three earned runs in 26 innings. He has punched out 43 in those 26 innings and only walked eight. So with the stuff that he has, being able to command it pretty decently, this is somebody who could potentially jump Ryan Cusick. Doesn't have the body that Cusick has, 6'1", 235 pounds. He's, he's big, he's strong. He's not nearly as tall, five inches shorter, but he commands his stuff better. And he has pretty comparable stuff, if not even arguably better, though you could probably project a little bit more on Cusick. 
but there's got to be some prevalence and some importance to what he's doing now, and he's doing a lot right now and looks better than Cusick right now and is already hitting the triple digits. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two guys compare because I think they're somewhat similar in their just where they're going to go in the draft and what they offer and some of the same questions. Though Bachman, not as many command questions. You could make the case that the unknown third pitch right now and how much he can count on it and how much you can expect it to develop is enough to leave some questions around Bachman versus Cusick as well. When I had Jeff Ponce from Prospects Live on the other day, which was a really fun episode, he told me that his favorite high school bat is actually Brady House. And that's, this was really interesting to me because Brady House is a guy that's had a ton of helium and now is really starting to play his way into the top 10. It's a lot of guys that are playing well right now, but there are some guys that aren't playing as well. And Brady House and Judd Fabian have kind of flip-flopped here, where House was looking like a potential mid-first-round guy, and Fabian was looking like a potential top-five pick. There were mock drafts from early, like way too early mock drafts that had Judd Fabian going number one. And it's because Fabian just has ridiculous power and has good tools. But Judd Fabian has just been striking out way too much, and it's been frustrating because you can see what he's capable of. You can see what he has to offer. He puts up some of the best exit velos in all of college baseball, and he could easily hit 20 home runs this year, but he's hitting 237, and he has 50 Ks in 33 games. I mean, that is just way too scary to take that guy in the top half of the first round, in my opinion. I think he's still easily a first rounder, is Judd Fabian, but that kind of strikeout volume going into now pro ball, it's only going to get worse is the fear. And there's a good chance that the fear is valid. He's had so many multi-strikeout games. He's had single games where he struck out five times. He struck out five times in one game against South Carolina, then followed that up with back-to-back three strikeout games. I don't know if I've seen someone strike out 11 times in three games. I know South Carolina has some pretty solid pitching, but then even moving on from that, he goes to Ole Miss and punches out three times again. So 14 Ks in four games, not really ideal from what was going to be easily a top 10 pick in this draft and potentially even better than that. We'll see how he finishes. That's going to have a huge bearing on things. I'm sure that The Gators will be playing some meaningful baseball down the road, and that will be an opportunity on the big stage to show some things too. But to be hitting 237 in a year where you were expected to be a top-line pick, you can see him probably playing his way towards the back end of the first round, but he still should be a top 30, top 25 pick just because of the power that he offers and because of the fact that he, at that point, if you're going in the 25th overall pick, let's say, and you're getting a talent like Judd Fabian with the type of power that he has and the ability to play potentially center field, definitely corners, you're going to probably take a chance on that guy. Depending on who's there, who's available and what you're looking for, you're going to probably take a chance on that guy. And you can look at it more so as like a project of like a high school player, because the one thing that Fabian does have working in his favor is that he is very young. He enrolled in college early, graduated early. I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly positive that he reclassified and then enrolled early. Only 20 years old, he'll be on draft day. So he's not quite high school young, but he's pretty much college freshman young. And it's almost like getting drafted after your freshman year at college. So it is a little bit more encouraging that he is only 20 years old and you can be more patient with a guy like Judd Fabian. So for those reasons, he is solidified inside of the first round for me. 
And I think that that could be a little bit of a steal if you're able to develop him properly. And we know how much teams prioritize age. So if he's young on the college side, you're probably going to see a team take a chance on him. He could even go earlier if the right team feels like they have the confidence in their development system. And there's plenty of teams that have plenty of confidence in that. As for Brady House, shortstop, big power. And I don't know if he's going to stick it short. That will be the question with him if he's also going to be able to really stay there. But the offensive upside is ridiculous. And everybody that I talk to really likes him, especially Jeff Ponce. Jeff Ponce really likes him. So I need to see more of Brady House, but I'm hearing so much around him. I love the swing. He's got the kind of power that you really can only compare it to other than Judd Fabian. There's not that many other guys in this first round that you can compare Brady House's power to super physically mature. He is probably with a strong spring here and the rest of the way and the way things shake out could play his way again also into that early conversation in the first round, top 15 picks, and just so many good shortstops. Then on the college side, you have Matt McClain. And while McClain doesn't really knock my socks off, he doesn't do anything absolutely exceptional. He has good bat-to-ball skills, an above-average-to-plus runner, can play all over the infield, good shortstop, can play third, can play second, is starting to show some more power. While he's not the most exciting guy in the world, he is still a very high likelihood big leaguer, but I do see a little bit of a utility role potential in him, which scares me away in the first round. You look at his numbers this year, 306, seven home runs, but again, just nothing really jumps off the page. He was a first round pick in high school, has somewhat stayed that similar type of profile. He's 5'11", 180, and doesn't quite have that impact on the baseball that you'd want out of a shortstop. Could move to second base, but if you're drafting a guy that is potentially a second baseman, or could play all over. Is that somebody you want to use a mid-first-round pick on? Probably not. Coming into this year, he was looked at as a potential top-ten pick, as a lot of scouts were putting more power on him than I really... I didn't really agree with it. Got to see him a lot in the Cape, and again, he I really liked the swing. I liked that he has the simplicity, and he barrels baseballs up pretty well and drives him to all fields, and he does walk a decent amount. But when I was looking at the a potential above-average-to-plus raw power on him, I didn't see that. I don't really see plus power on him. I see average to slightly above average, but nothing above a 50 to 55 grade at most on his power. I would really put it at 50 at most for him. And to me, that's not really a pick I want to make ahead of the late first round. He's reminiscent of a guy I liked, Jordan Westberg. He reminds me a little bit of Westberg, but Westberg had more power to offer. McLean has a little bit more defense and speed to offer probably a bit of a snooze of a pick for whatever team gets him, but also a very high likelihood major leaguer. A couple other guys I wanted to wrap up with, especially two high school catchers that I think are going to really fight against that high school catcher type of uh, stigma that centers around just the history of catchers from high school being drafted and not having success. That is the riskiest and least likely to be successful position to draft out of high school as catcher. The track record is absolutely abysmal. But Joe Mack and also Harry Ford are two guys who I think can break that stigma for this year at least for different reasons. Mack is college level polished. That's as simple as it is for him. The bat really plays. He's very comfortable behind the dish, receives well. I just see him as a very high floor option that you don't normally see from a high school catcher. And that bat really does play. As for Harry Ford, he is just the most athletic catcher I've seen in a long time and the most athletic high school catcher I've seen in a long time. I like him behind the dish. 
He has a good arm. He receives well. He moves really well because of that athleticism. And there is plus raw power in there. And he's a plus runner. It's just that you don't see catchers like Harry Ford. And the thing is, is if it doesn't pan out for Harry Ford, then you have somebody that can play other positions. Plus runner. He can play in center. He could probably play third base. He could play anywhere because he is a good runner with a good arm. So at least while it's unlikely oftentimes that high school catchers are successful, you have a very high-end fallback option of a guy with plus speed, a really good bat, and above average raw power that plays. I think that that's really rare, and that's something I would take in the first round. You're hoping that he stays a catcher. I think that you see, we've seen a lot that can convince me that I have confidence if I'm picking this guy that he can stay a catcher. But worst case scenario, if he can't stick a catcher, the bat plays, he's a plus runner, he's got above average raw power, and he's still a really enticing and tantalizing prospect all around. Harry Ford's one of my favorite prospects in this draft because of the fact that he's so dynamic, because he has such a high-end fallback plan, and because of all of the ways that he can impact the game as a catcher or in the field. And we're seeing guys like that. Look at Austin Barnes. While he has, while Harry Ford has a higher-end offensive ceiling than in Austin Barnes, you're seeing some of these catchers that also play in the field a little bit, that are athletic and can move around. We'll see that with Will Smith. And while Will Smith is not the most talented catcher in the world, he's athletic in the bat plays. And as a result, they make time for him behind the dish. But also, he's probably going to play more in the field as he gets older and moves on. Harry Ford is just able to do so much. You have a lot of offsetting of the risk. And I love Harry Ford as one of my guys in this draft that I would reach for if I were a team picking in the middle of the first round. And I wouldn't perceive it as a reach at all, but he's probably more likely to go late in the first round. A lot of other prospects I will be looking forward to getting to as we get closer to draft time. And I will be doing some mock drafts as we get closer as well. And as I get more info and bring on some really cool analysts to be able to help me with those mock drafts. So I'm looking forward to that. Keep an eye out for that coverage. As always, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.